Welcome to Ellen the Great Podcast. I'm Ellen Wanjiro, and I am conquering the unknown one episode at a time. On today's episode, I'll be sharing an interview I did recently for blackfilm.com, a media outlet and publisher of film, television, theater, and digital editorial news and entertainment content. My interview was with film director Army Hicks Jr. about his new short film, Circuit, starring Burgundy Baker, Sophia McDowell, and Miriam Diallo. The synopsis of the film is, lured by an older man with the promises of love and protection, 16-year-old Savannah Jones' romantic expectations quickly fades as she finds herself trapped in the dark and devastating world of sex trafficking. Now called Blondie, She stumbles her way through the hierarchy of girls as she is forced to perform sexual acts for the wealthy. In the end, her efforts for rescue are dashed, along with her hope and innocence. I watched the short, and it was good. Thank you. It was good. It was Mm -hmm. heart-wrenching, yet necessary, right? Um, You can't watch it and not be moved by the weighted reality of what it's about. So can you sort of explain um, the plot and the purpose of your short film circuit? Yeah, so first of all, the purpose was we wanted to have a call to action. Uh, We really, really wanted people to watch this film and be moved and to wanna go out and actively do something. Um, I know a lot of times we make film with the idea to entertain, but this was really Um, a piece that was designed to bring awareness and to force people to want to go out and hopefully change and try to abolish sex trafficking. So the plot came about through, um, we did various interviews with uh, girls who had been through this and, you know, just hearing their stories and they came from all different walks of life and they were um, involved in trafficking in all sorts of different ways, you know, whether they were sold by their parents into it, uh, whether they were enticed with uh, romantic expectations, you know, all different types of uh, ways you could be entered into this. And, you know, we kind of wanted to make like an amalgamation of all these girls and their stories and um, put them all in kind of into one character. So, you know, basically the writing process between me and my writing partner, Sade Sellers, um, was seeing, you know, the, the most authentic way we could go about in accomplishing that. Um, and so speaking of authenticity, how important was it for the cinematography to match the story that's being told? Because I've always felt like the two um, should be married well enough where you can understand what's going on. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we wanted um, cinematography-wise to um, enhance... Through, through the visuals and through the sound enhance what the story was 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 saying so uh, we put a lot of emphasis on the, the 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 scope so a lot of films are shot in widescreen right right big IMAX and they want you to get as much information as possible um, that's going on on the outsides of the screens but what we wanted to do was to do the opposite of that the inverse and we wanted you to feel the close inness that she felt right and how trapped she felt so we chose to go with an older um the original academy ratio um which is a lot smaller and with that we we chose very specific compositions on how we chose to frame um the actresses in in their different stages of her hope her grief um you know it was very it was very meticulous in our shot list and going through and making sure that um that the viewers 
A, we didn't want to distract and take away by trying to be too fancy or do, do too much things. So like trying to strike that balance of, you know, putting the viewer into uh, our Blondie, our lead character's shoes. And so, I mean, speaking of close-ups, those are, you know, they were so good again. Um, and I think that's what pulled me in and made me emotionally invested in this because I felt like I was there with her yes. in those moments. And I think that's so important when telling a story such as this one, to be able to get the viewer to feel exactly what you want us to feel. Yes. So with all the research and the data collected to, to, to create this, this could have very well been a full length. Why yes. did you opt for a short film format? Um, I opted for a short film because A, we wanted this to really be a piece that was a call to action. Um, we didn't, and, and, and B, we didn't really, as you see, it has like an open-ended, not so happy ending for those who haven't seen it, don't want to spoil too much, but, um, and to wrap things up in a nice bow and makes, you know, and have like a hero and all that stuff kind of takes away, right? It gives it that, that, uh, that fantasy element where it seems more so like, oh, okay, cool film. Now I go back home to my bubble and to my life. Um, so in a short, we feel like we could have a much more message-based visual versus an entertainment visual. Uh, you know, so, so people see that and they go, okay, cool. I, I was able to get this information this amount of time. Um, I, see the, I see the story. I see the stats. What can I do to help versus, you know, popcorn sitting at home with your family right. and then going on back to YouTube or Facebook, whatever it is, you know, people would do. And how did you, did you know who you wanted to play in these roles, the girls? Like, did you know ahead of time or was this something that just kind of happened? Um, yeah, so, so, so when I was writing this, I knew that I wanted Burgundy Baker to be the lead. Um, we're, we're both from the same hometown. Um, I've known her and her family for a while and she is a phenomenal actress. Um, she's one of the leads on The Shy. I mean, she's tearing it up. And um, she, has, she had the look and I think the, the range to pull off what I wanted, um, you know, she, she, cause this is a mature piece. There's a lot of mature elements, but these girls are, um, they're playing, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds. So you didn't want to cat, we didn't want to cast too young and then they not be able to handle the maturity. We didn't want to cast too old and not have the, the look. So she was the perfect combination. Um, from there, our producer and casting director, um, Lauren Harrell, we had an extensive casting call and search and we, we saw numerous uh, actors and actresses and, you know, for the pimps, like we really wanted to go against type. Uh, we, we got a lot of like, you know, the guys that you're used to seeing on movies, the Russian guy with the thick accents. And, you know, we was getting a lot of those guys, guys with the tattoos all over their faces and mm -hmm. stuff and, you know, big brawny guys. And we wanted to kind of go against that because this is, we feel like this issue can happen to anyone and it can happen anywhere. And you, you don't really know who the perps are. So we kind of wanted, we wanted to go against that in terms of, of our antagonists. And, um, you know, I think we, we found a very solid and well-rounded group who did a phenomenal job. I mean, they just blew me away with their performances. They were so prepared, uh, so ready when they came in with their lines. It, it was incredible. Uh, to your point of finding an antagonist that doesn't look uh, the part of what we're used to seeing, I definitely felt that with the, the pimp, right? The, the main guy. Um, like there, there were parts of it where I felt like, wow, he could be really nice, but 
then he's not because this is the industry that he's in. So that was a great balance. And, and it speaks to it could be happening right next door. It could be my neighbor that, exactly. that, that that's the guy. And I would never right. know. You would never know. And that's yeah. frightening. <laughs> yeah. You know, because, you know, that that's like um, we spoke to several girls. A lot of them get into this through like romantic. So these guys are often handsome, charismatic. Um, you know, who's, who have money offering them, you know, uh, wealth and to get away from their current situations. Um, so we wanted to kind of, that's why we have like the scene in the penthouse, right? And that very nice, um, extravagant, we, we, we did a lot of location scouting to find a place that really felt, that felt like money, right? And you did these mm. girls going into these, these homes with these rich and wealthy men and in the, in suits, right? It's very business. And they're having to do that. These young girls are having to do these these adult things in these in these situations. So yeah, we really try hard to to convey that. I mean that that penthouse scene. Um, the the part that stood out to me the most was um, the visual of the men with the sounds of like roaring lions, and I thought that was perfect in delivering the message of right of being predator and prey. Yes. Um, and so I imagine that was the purpose. Yeah, so that scene was very symbolic in a lot of ways. When, they, when we do the close-up, I don't know if you can tell, but there are football players that's being projected through her face. In America, like the number one most trafficked event uh, in the country is the Super Bowl. Wow. Yes, the Super Bowl. So that was like an Easter egg, hidden meaning mm. message that we put in there. Okay. Um, any, anywhere where there's a large group of men, alcohol, and money, there are spikes in sex trafficking. So sporting events, NASCAR, horse races, like there's always spikes around those events. That was something we wanted to kind of put in there without being uh, too overt about it. And then also, um, yes, like the very animalistic predator, um, you know, feeling of dominance, you know, we, we did that. Yeah, we wanted that those sounds, those very specific sounds and, you know, even the cuts of them laughing and yelling and it yeah. just looked, it looked so aggressive in that. And the know. way the camera just kind of shot, you know, the up close shot of Blondie's um, face and her eyes and you just see, you know, just the fear yes. in her eyes. I literally felt like I was in that room and I was one of those girls. Um, another scene in the penthouse is uh, when she is um, walking into the room and she stops and looks at the art piece on the wall. And then her, as well as the audience, kind of have this moment of like, oh my God, and it's this little black girl holding a white bunny. So what was the intention for that scene? The intention for that was to be her seeing the loss of her innocence, her innocence, right? Her childhood that she just, she's not getting to have anymore. That is being stripped away. And um, also serves a, as a reminder of home, right? As a reminder of hope. Like you can get out of this, you can escape, which is what we see in the, in the, following scene right it's kind of like the trigger for that her seeing that it's kind of like a reminder because blondie yeah. serves as the hope red serves as kind of in between like she's she's been in the system for a while she really she's like we're all his wives now girl when she says that you know right. like she's more accepted of the of it because she's been in it and then jade who's you know always like yes daddy yes daddy she's fully indoctrinized like she's completely like there's no hope there's no escape this is my life. I'm the leader of the pack. That's why she's so rude to everyone. Like she's like, no, this is my domain. I run this. So we 
we also want to show that too, the hierarchy and the different ways that the girls have compartmentalized or, um, you know, sought to, to cope with their situation. What was interesting about Jade is towards the end, after Blondie, you know, attempts to call her mother and almost gets away, um, Jade says to her, like, wow, I hope I get a chance to do that one day. So while she's deeply ingrained in it, there's still this idea of maybe one day. Yes, he's changed by Blondie. Blondie has now given her hope. That hope is contagious, that hope. And, you know, mm. I mean, one day that we will be saved and recovered, you know. So I'm glad that you... Oh, I was in it. I'm in it. You hear me? I've watched it over and over again. I sent, I sent the, the YouTube link to my girls. We've talked about it. Like, oh, that's amazing. Just because why not? What else is there to do than to have these sort of conversations Absolutely. and shed light? You know what I mean? So what did you set out to accomplish in this film? Well, so my sister is a doctor and she lives in New York and she travels to India, Costa Rica, um, Africa, she's gone all these places and she actually helps restore the lives of women who've, who've been rescued. She's been doing that for a while and that was very heroic, right? I saw her as my bigger sister, my older sister, and I was like, that's amazing. And we we're having a conversation and she was just, she kind of said to me, like, you would be surprised how often this happens in America. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, you, you think of movies like Taken and stuff. And you assume that it's such a foreign issue, right? Because how is this happening in America and we don't hear about it? So in my research, I found that the majority of the victims are African-American and African-American women. And then it clicked to me, oh, that's why. Because it's black and brown girls. You know, there, there's no Amber Alerts for them. There's no press. There's no news coverage for them, you know? And, yeah. you know, like you hear about the girls who went missing in Africa and we, and we had to, you know, uh, Michelle Obama had to take to Twitter to get action taken. You know, no one else was calling. And, and the same with this. So I was like, I wanted this to be, what I wanted to accomplish was to start getting the ball rolling in the media about this, about sex trafficking. Get You know, I know there's a lot of groups that's out there that's been working for it. And I don't want to seem like I'm the first one or a trailblazer or anything like that, but what I do is I'm a filmmaker. That's my way to help. So if I can make a film and that can help in any capacity, you know, to like journey out, we, we partner with journey out, which is a nonprofit in Los Angeles, which is great. And they're doing a great job. They actually have boots on the ground, you know, so if we can get, if we can reach an even different audience than they reach uh, and, you know, pair those two together. Now they have a bigger outreach. So that's what we wanted to do. You know, we, we set out to save lives. That's all we wanted to do with this film. And so I appreciate, you know, this is a, a small story to a much larger one, but it's so impactful. I've known about sex slavery and human trafficking for years, but it was something about this short film that just kind of drove it home to me in a way that I've never really experienced before. I can't explain it, but mission accomplished. Thank you. Yeah. Was it intentional to cast uh, a darker skin uh, black leading actress? Absolutely. Part of my personal mission has been to be the change that I wanted to see in Hollywood. You know, I'm mm -hmm. an actor first and, you know, the roles that I've had have always been limited to me. So that's how I became a filmmaker. I thought it was important to give myself, create roles for myself and others. So um, one of my short films I did before, it was very intentional in casting a dark skinned leading actress. And as I kept evolving, I definitely 
wanted to continue doing that. So, you know, that it was very intentional on doing that. Very, very intentional. And we hired, I had a, a, a woman co-writer, uh, three women producers. Uh, we had women above the line, mm. below the line. Had we not had a scheduling conflict, we would have had a woman cinematographer and, and camera crew. Okay. Um, okay. Claudia Costello, shout out to her. She edited Black Panther, Creed, and Fruitvale Station. She was our editor. Nice. Uh, our assistant editor, Alexandra. I mean, we, that was very intentional. You know, I wanted to be uh, supporting women in jobs that are traditionally go to men, not only men, but white men. So not only was it, you know, the, the story itself intentional, but everything that was happening behind the scenes just as intentional. Yes, just as intentional, of course. So... There were so many alarming realities in this film from the ages of the girls, from the ages the men, the ages the men wanted the girls to, to be. Because when they first yes. got there, they were a little disappointed, right? Yes. Um, and then, you know, the, the fact that there's this um, realization of I may never, ever be able to go back home. Yeah. And so what does that do to your psyche? Right. There was a lot of things that we tried to examine in a very short amount of time. Um, like the average age is 11 to 14 years old. Mm, so right. with making them a little older to show that men prefer them even younger than that, you know, we had to slide that line, that line in, yeah. you know, just to show. And then the line where he goes into the room and he's like, you remind me of my daughters. That uh, alone was so disturbing, right? And to me, I took that as like, you're, you're really hopeless. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, maybe one of these men will have some humanity, right? Like, maybe someone will, will not be, you know, who they're portraying themselves to be. But the minute he said that, I think it sunk in in my head, like, oh, my God, this is, this is how it is across the board. And if that's what it is, how do you ever, like, stop this epidemic? Yes. So that, that's, a, that's a, another, like, so me and my friends, we've had this talk. We talk a lot and, you know, we had to look at ourselves and look at how we're raised, the images we consumed, uh, the conversations that we had in, in the way about women, right? And we, we had to have some real talks about the things that we've done, said, and believed in. Mm. And I think that's where the change starts for, for men is, you know, sitting down and really uh, assessing your view of women and, and, you know, and, um, and starting to try to change that. Right. So, you know, if your friend, friend is doing something inappropriate, being man enough to say something instead of turning a blind eye, you know, and standing up and, and protecting women and being better uh, allies for women. So that's kind of was my, my personal path. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had to go on that journey first and only then could I, my eyes be opened to, being a better ally and then my friends didn't follow suit. So hopefully then their outer circles will follow them and it becomes uh, a new, we lay a new foundation for how uh, black men particularly treat women and, you know, hopefully other men will do the same. And when you think about it to your point of, you know, it starts at home um, teaching little boys how to treat little girls, right? Because this, whether it's learned behavior, whether it's, you know, you're, you're doing this because you yourself were traumatized at some point, I don't know. But I think it needs to be ingrained from such a young age. Because by the time you're talking to a grown-ass man, 
who knows what's been bubbling around in his head? How difficult is it going to be to get those sort of, you know, thoughts and images out of his head? I mean, we can try, we can certainly try, but I think it has to start from a young age and also with women too, right? Self-respect and and self-awareness, aware of your surroundings of people and the whole social media aspect of it, right? How easy is it to get lured in via social media? Very easily. We spoke to a girl who um, was living on the streets. She was homeless. And, you know, she had a cell phone and was on Facebook, you know, was chatting with this guy on the other side of the country. And, you know, they were exchanging information and love and pictures. And he's like, yo, I'll fly you out here. You can live with me. Yeah. She, you know, she he buys her this ticket. She flies. And boom, he immediately takes her. As soon as they touch down, immediately takes her to a hotel, takes her phone, her ID, locks her in this room. And within 20 minutes, guys are coming that fast. What? Yes. Is how quickly through social media she was recruited. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's hard. It's tough. You know, how can we monitor this? How, how, you know, how are we, like you said, it starts at home, you know, with the, fam- the family unit. You know, and then family, like we interviewed another girl whose father sold her and her daughter. So then what do you say to that? Like, okay, it starts in the family, but my dad sold me away. I talked to another girl whose mom would walk her to Midtown, New York, put her on an elevator and press like the top floor and just send her up all day. You know, like, so this is, wow. it's, it's a hard thing. It's such a, it's such a silent, it's like such a silent plague, you know, it's like, it, yeah. We That's got a, lot a good of word for it. That's a good yeah. word for it. Plague. Yeah. It's, we got a lot of work to do, you know. <laughs> It feels like this will be a never-ending job, but as long as we're working towards it, the chances could, you know, could get better. I don't know. Get better, yeah, absolutely. You know, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, while the visuals told their own story, I thought the writing and the dialogue did the same, right? So, what was that process like? Ironing out the perfect dialogue, albeit brief to drive this point home because there were these nuggets, man, that just gave me chills. And I was like, WTF, I wish it, I wish it was longer than it was. So what was that process like? So the original script that I, I had was about these two guys who were like gangsters and they, their boss is like, I need you guys to do an errand and they go pick up this car and there's a girl in a trunk and then they set off to free her from him, right? So, Way different story for me. Completely different. <laughs> Completely different. So, you know, I was workshopping that script and, um, you know, I sent it. I worked on that script for a long time and I thought, I was like, man, this is, this is a great script. This is awesome. Like, this is going to, you know, and I sent it to my friend Sade um, Sellers, who just had a film uh, on TV One, Daily Dispatch. So, shout out to her. And she was like, you know, Army, you're telling this story from your male POV and I don't think that it's hitting home the way you want to like this is good it's written well but it just seems like another you know action movie or something you know like taken mm. it's not really saying anything or uh doing anything more than that so i was like oh okay i guess you're right so she was like how about this you know i'll, I'll help point you in the right direction and eventually we became co-writers and we would we just completely flipped this flip the script on his head and we started telling it from the perspective of the girl that was found in the trunk and then from there we gave her her own story and then she became Blondie and then we started taking all the interviews and, you know, we, we went back and forth maybe about 11 or 12 drafts. Mm. Um, 
and just going back and forth, back and forth on what we want to say. And, you know, my producers got involved and, you know, how can we say this in a specific way? Um, Some more overt than others, some more subtle than others. Um, bringing in the actresses, having them read it. Okay, how to say this? How would you say? This? Oh, okay, oh, that that's actually that works well. Let's you know, even up to the day we was filming, we were changing dialogue and and working and reworking. So it was a it was a wonderful process. It was very collaborative. Um, I'd say a very collaborative process. Absolutely. Bravo on that. How long did it take to complete this film? Man, uh, this is probably a year and a half, two year process to from when we started from when I started with the original script to now it's been a very long process but I'm very proud of it very proud of the film and everything that we accomplished and the release date of the film was June 19th right 19th yes and was that intentional for that specific date (laughs) um so we were we were in festivals and you know we had some festival uh releases um and we're slowly building and gaining momentum and then COVID hit, of course, and a lot of festivals were canceled or going virtual. So we thought we wanted to put it online for, for, for mass consumption, and we thought that we could self-distribute it that way. So in looking at dates, I thought Juneteenth would be a good date because it is, it, it's so significant when it comes to terms of slavery and Black people and how this film people call sex trafficking, sex, sexual slavery. And I thought that two coincided very well and um, that that's, this date would be a, a good date to, to, to release on. Yeah, I think that was quite genius, actually, uh, that specific date and what it signifies. So where can people watch this? I know it's on YouTube, but how can people find this to go watch it? Yeah, so if you go to YouTube and you search uh, Circuit, Circuit Film. Film, <laughs> Circuit Film uh, you can Super easy, Ar- right. Army Hicks, you can go, it's on my channel. Um, you can type in Burgundy Baker, uh, any combination of those three things, um, it should pop up. It's also streaming on Film Shortage. It was their daily pick of the week. It's also on Vimeo. If you type in Circuit Short Film, um, Army Hicks, it's there. Okay. Um, yeah. And as far as Instagram goes, the um, handle for the film is at sh- uh, Circuit Short Film, right? Yes. On Instagram, okay. at Circuit Short Film. The link is also in the bio. Um, you can find me at army underscore strong. The link is also in my bio uh, to the film. And yeah. And so what's next? Like, what do we have to look forward to with you in terms of uh, directing and or acting? Yeah. Um, so I got, I got a, I got a few ideas. I want to turn this into a series, a TV Ooh. series. Yeah. A series, okay. uh, a limited series, um, kind of, uh, in the vein of like a, when they see us slash seven seconds, um, you know, where it's short, brief, brief, and uh, focused on the media aspect from that side and why, um, you know, what type of cover-ups is going on to keep this out of the media, right? That's kind of how we're um, trying to turn this into a show. As far as me acting, um, you know, I don't know right now with COVID, you know, everything's shut down. So everything's up in the air. Up in the air, right. Yeah. I yeah. forgot for two seconds we were in COVID, my bad. No, <laughs> get so involved in this film, it's like the world stops. And so just really quickly, and then I'll wrap this up uh, in terms of like what's happening next and what you intend to do with this. As you were explaining the different stories of the girls, like the elevator and, and the father selling the girl and the baby, I think those visuals would be so impactful to see being played out in story format in short story format. So just as a, you know, as, as something to think about, 
because it's something about connecting visuals to people's hearts and then their minds that then change can can come from that so i think there's there there's something there in um telling all those stories because i could imagine how many you've heard yeah yeah we that was um actually i like that you brought that up because we were thinking about doing like a a short series where we gave like each individual girl we interviewed like kind of like we did the same thing that we did for blondie would do for them and create that. Um, oh, nice. But, yeah, this, but circus short film, that cost um, 20000 and counting. That was our budget. Um, uh, so, okay. Oh, All right. All right. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yes, they get it to look as well in the caliber of, of talent that we had with that film um, costs. You know, so, you know, if someone, if HBO, if you guys are listening or Cinemax, some of you guys want to give us a short film budget. Oh, seriously. Recreate that, um, but yeah, um, you know, we we we've thought about doing a uh, series because you're right. That empathy, right? It hits your mind and your heart and your imagination, and it really, it really, you know, is a strong call to action. That's the best call of action when it's tugging at your heartstrings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it stayed like I watched this what two weeks ago, and it's been on my brain and in my heart ever since. So there's there's power in that. And so if there is any way um, that can go fund me or so, something so <laughs> money yeah. can be put towards this cause, man, I'm in it and I will spread the word. I'll talk about it on my podcast. I'll wear a t-shirt, like whatever you need me to do. Army. <laughs> Absolutely. So we actually did a, um, a Seed and Spark campaign for this and we raised, um, we raised close to, to 16,000 16, and then the rest has, you know, was out of pocket but um yeah i mean the, the people wanted to see it and the proof was in the pudding and, and the money that we were able to raise in 30 days wow yeah so there you go um, you know maybe we could do it again and that might be something in the works you know see if i you know i know people's pockets are hurting right now um during COVID, but you know maybe once everything gets back to normal we'll have a part two or round two definitely i'll be waiting i'll be on standby so listen, thank you for taking the time out to um, chat with me. I mean, is there anything else you want to share or um, put out there that we haven't? Um, I about? just I just want to say stream the film, watch it. Um, we're at close to um, we're closing in on ten thousand views, and keep sharing it, watching it, and you know, send it to anyone who thinks that they would like it and who would want to make a change, make a difference. So hopefully, we could put it into this because um, this is a very very real topic. Um, and it could, you know, this could be your mom, it could be my daughter, my sister, you know what I mean? It could happen to anyone. So, you know, stay vigilant um, and keep your eyes open. And vigilant. vigilant, right? <laughs> All right. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you what, you know, what you've created. Um, much needed. Thank you. And by the way, where are you? Uh, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina right now. Ah, okay. It looks real woodsy in the back. So I was just curious. <laughs> yeah taking some time out from Los Angeles and uh, be home with family. Gotcha. Okay. All All right. right. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Ellen the Great podcast. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And for more information and social media links, visit my website at ellenthegreat.com. Till next time.